Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Amen. Welcome back to Bible Center Church. Love singing, love singing that last song. All of them and worshiping the Lord with you. Thank you uh, for being here. You have survived and uh, you are here. We're so glad about that. I'm Pastor Matt. If I haven't yet had a chance to meet you, I'd love to have that opportunity. I'm the senior pastor here at Bible Center Church, and we want to do everything in our power, uh, not only to help you feel welcome this morning, but to actually, actually help you connect uh, to make spiritual friends. We're a community of believer, believers in Christ, people following Jesus, a community of spiritual friends. Uh, let us know how we can help you get plugged in as Pastor Caleb has already said. We've got a lot of work to do today in God's Word, so I'm going to ask you to open your Bible or your Bible app to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. The words will also be on the screen. And while you're turning there, I wanted to take a second and invite you to two things. There's two things on the horizon that are big to me and I think will be big to you. One of them is our member meeting tonight. We have our member meeting about three, sometimes four times a year, and tonight is one of those opportunities. It's just an oppor- a great chance for us to be together as a family, uh, talk through some family business, and actually see and meet people that maybe we don't normally get to see and meet. Maybe you sit on the opposite side of the auditorium from them, or maybe they go to a different service altogether. Uh, tonight I'm going to be talking about our trip, our most recent trip uh, to Israel. I'm going to share a few pictures. Many of you have asked me to stop just posting random pictures without captions, and so I'm going to try to tell you uh, some of the stories behind just a few of my, two or three of my favorite sites, tell you about our trip in 2022 that's coming up, and try to do my best to encourage you to come with us uh, in a couple of years. Uh, We're also going to be showing a brief video from one of our most recent baptisms uh, that some of you got to see in this service, a, a little short video. And then we're going to talk about a new service that's launching in August. We're actually going to launch a third service, and it's going to be a Thursday night worship service. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Well, I will say this. Many people travel, and a lot of our travelers, people who are gone, or many people work now, have to work, or sometimes out of town on the weekends. A Thursday night service is something we have really sensed for a while, our pastors, our elders. And so we're going to launch that in August but that really is all I'm going to say about that for now. But come tonight, we'll tell you more about the details of that. As you arrive, our greeters, you'll recognize our greeters as our staff. And then as we conclude, we're going to conclude with prayer. This really functions a lot like one of several ways we're trying to permeate our church with prayer. And so we're going to be praying as we finish up tonight. We're going to start at 6, and by God's grace, be done right at 7.15. Bring the kiddos. It's totally okay to bring the kids. I love it when the kids make noise. Bring the color book, coloring books, the iPads, whatever. Uh, but we're a family, and so we want to gather tonight as a family around uh, the opportunity to celebrate uh, those truths. The second thing I want to invite you to is next Sunday, I'm going to conclude the Ephesians series with a message on spiritual warfare spiritual warfare. It's not something we talk a lot about, but actually the Apostle Paul has been giving us these snapshots of home, of the church. This morning we're going to see the snapshot of work. But in the last few verses of the book, it's as if he zooms out and gives us not a snapshot, but the panorama. He gives us this huge picture, this 30, 40,000 foot picture of what it looks like to be in spiritual warfare against Satan, against the demons. What does the Bible say? How are we to pray? 
How are we to pray for our kids? How are we going to pray for our grandkids? These are all things we're going to talk about next Sunday. And so I ask you to do me a favor. Please pray, as you think about it this week, that God would help us and protect us next Sunday as we teach on a subject like spiritual warfare. It's been my experience that every time we as a church try to set out to talk about these sort of things, it just seems to require extra prayer. If the Lord would lead you to fast this week some, be sure to do that. And let's ask God next weekend to really open our eyes to the great truths that we have in Christ, but also the war uh, that we're in as believers. So next Sunday... Tonight is our member meeting at 6 o'clock. Hope you'll be here for that. Today we're talking about snapshots of the Christian at work. And I read these statistics this week that I wanted to share. One-third of Americans say, I hate my job. Two-thirds of Americans feel that they've chosen the wrong career. Many more who find success say that they find little to no satisfaction in their jobs. Did you know that most suicides occur on Sunday nights? Most heart attacks occur, in America at least, on Monday mornings. So with this in mind, how can we, how can we prepare ourselves? How can we prepare our children? How can we disciple others in the faith? Uh, what does the Bible have to say about all this? Well, before we jump into God's Word, I want to share a graph with you because I'm going to refer to it a couple times throughout the message. This is what Sarah and I are are trying to teach our our daughters, primarily our oldest daughter right now who's about a year away from college. Dad, what does God want me to do? What should be my major? What what do I want to do with my life, my career, etc.? And so really there's four ways that people choose a career. All of us will find that ourselves somewhere in these four ways. The first way, I wouldn't recommend it, is to choose a career based upon, first of all, something you don't enjoy and then something you're not good at, right? Something you don't enjoy and something you're not good at. Very few people stay in this quadrant for a length of time because they don't have the income to stay in this quadrant. This would be like me trying to sit out to be a professional hockey player, right? I love to watch hockey, but I still don't know how to ice skate, right? And so I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it. I probably shouldn't try to be a professional hockey player. It just wouldn't fit me very well. But the next quadrant is those things that we do enjoy, but we're not good enough yet to make a living. We call these hobbies, right? We all have them. There's things that you love to do, but nobody's paying you. I love to kayak. No one's paying to put their sticker on the side of my orange kayak that I bought from Walmart, right? No one's one's just clamoring to do that. I enjoy it. But I'm not, you know, a professional kayaker. I've really just been down like the Coal River, and that's about it. Um, then the third quadrant are things that we're good enough to make a living doing, but we don't really enjoy. And I find that most of us, many, many believers, live in this quadrant, unfortunately, their entire lives. And so what we're trying to do is we coach our youth, as we coach our children, as I talk to different men and women who are in the marketplace, is to say, you know, there are times that we all live in that quadrant, but what is it that God's made you to do? Pastor Mike and Pastor John's session on spiritual gifts is actually a great place to start, even in the marketplace. How has God wired you? What do you love to do? And the fourth quadrant is what we enjoy and if it lines up with what we're good enough to be paid to do. And even if we live in that quadrant, we have to admit that there are still bad days, right? There's still bad days. 
22 years before I became a senior pastor, I felt and sensed the calling of God to be a senior pastor. But for 22 years, I didn't quite get to do what it was that I felt God was ultimately leading me to do. But even now that I serve in this role, hey, there are bad days, even when you work for the church. And so what advice does the Bible give us for Christians at work? I'll tell you what I'm not going to tell you this morning. The advice I'm not going to give, I'm not going to tell you to be weird. I'm at least going to try not to tell you to be weird. And what I mean by that is I read this week about a Christian barista who felt that because they were a Christian that they had to open up a coffee shop called Jehovah Java. No lie. And another one, he brews. He brews. I read this week of a barber, a Christian barber and beautician who opened up a his clips, capital H, his clips, or a cut above, right? I mean, I guess it's fine if you want to do that, but just because you're a Christian uh, doesn't mean that you've got to do weird things, right? It's okay for you to be a Christian and own a coffee shop. Like, that's totally cool. Um, My wife and I were traveling here a few years ago, and I was speaking at a church in Baltimore, and there was a a gentleman who wanted to tell us that he had been uh, persecuted because he was fired from Bob Evans, And so I wanted to hear, because I really like me some Bob Evans. So I wanted to hear, like, how did you get persecuted from Bob Evans? You know, the barbecue chicken salad is one of the reasons I exist. But so he he said, well, because I'm a Christian, I wouldn't let anybody have their bread, their rolls, or their drinks until I got to share my faith with them. And the boss told me to stop doing that. And I told him I couldn't stop doing that because it was more important. Man shall not live by bread alone. And Pastor Matt, can you believe the boss fired me? Now, I didn't say it because pastors can't often say what they really think, but what I really was thinking, like, you didn't get fired because you're persecuted. You got fired because you're an idiot, right? (laughs) If I go to Bob Evans and you don't bring me my bread and my drink and you want to talk about something, even if it's something I love, we're going to have some issues. So let's not do that. That's not what the Bible's teaching here. So if that's not what the Bible teaches, what is the Bible teaching? That's what we're going to dive into in the next few minutes. Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 5, will you stand with me out of respect for God's word? I'll read verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your servants in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that it is he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what is it that God wants us to know? If you're taking notes, here's the big idea. Here's the main idea uh, contextually from this passage. For Christians, Monday is just as important as Sunday. For Christians, Monday is just as important as Sunday. If you forget everything else, I hope you remember this tomorrow at the water cooler. For Christians, Monday is just as important as Sunday. I didn't know it until this week. But think of this. In the Bible, worship is mentioned 800 times. 
800 times. That is more than, that is, excuse me, work is mentioned 800 times. That's more than worship, music, praise, and singing combined. Work is a big theme in God's Word. According to the New Testament, of Jesus' 132 public appearances, 122 were in the marketplace. Of the 52 parables recorded in the Gospels, 45 had a workplace context. Of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts, 39 were in the marketplace. And Jesus spent how many years as a carpenter? At least 30 years in the home of a carpenter, learning the trade from his father before he ever did one public recorded miracle. This is the big idea. For Christians, Monday is just as important for Sunday. For the rest of the passage, he's going to give advice to two groups of people. He's going to give some advice to employers and advice to employees. Let's start with employees in verse 6. What does God tell us to do as employees? First of all, respectfully do our jobs. Respectfully do our jobs. Verse 5, actually. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Now, when we read the word slaves, let's not think of slavery here in America uh, before the Emancipation Proclamation and all that evil system uh, brought to our country. Let's not think of what it was here, what it was in Europe. This is not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Uh, at some point, I do want to teach on the evils of slavery and the evils of, of prejudice and the evils of injustice, and we're going to get there. Uh, but in this particular context, if you're taking notes, you might write the words indentured servant, indentured servant. It was a Roman system that if you had a large debt that you could not repay, you would give yourself or sell yourself into a contract as an indentured servant for a set period of time to pay off that debt. We don't have something quite like that today, but some of you who are in various contracts or even if you're trying to pay off credit card debt, uh, you know what it can be like. Technically, you may not be a slave, but it can certainly feel that way. So God here says, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. One of the common questions people ask about this passage is, what about if your boss is abusive? What if your boss asks you to do something that's not ethical, that's not right? Do I still have to do it? And the answer in this context is absolutely not. Back in Ephesians 5.21, he says, make sure your ultimate submission and reverence is to Christ. And so if a boss ever tries to require you to do something that's not ethical, that's sinful, uh, you don't have to do it. And I know that the ramifications of that could be catastrophic. But first of all, our allegiance is to Christ. But with that said, Paul wants us to know that our bosses are still human beings. They're still human beings. Notice what he says in verse 5. He doesn't just say obey your masters. He says obey your earthly masters. Some of the older translations in the English language used to say fleshly or carnal but I'm thankful for the NIV. It gets it right. It's actually the word earthly. It means not angelic, not godlike. Your bosses are human. Paul's reminding us that they put on their pants the same way we would put on, on our pants. They're human. And so with all their imperfections, he still invites us to show reverence 
to show honor, to show respect. I'm going to introduce you to a friend of ours from Louisville. This guy's name is Mo Clark. And I met Mo when I was working for a short time at a cable company, uh, my first semester in seminary. And Mo's a believer. And this guy modeled, when I was praying through this text this week, trying to think of somebody I know who models this in the marketplace, Mo came to mind. He is so respectful. And he's not doing it to be fake. Like, he is genuinely respectful. When you talk to him, you you have his undivided attention. He says, yes, sir, and and yes, ma'am. And he treats the people above him with respect. And the people that he leads, he treats them with respect. I remember one instance being in the break room and people complaining about the boss. And I can remember uh, Mo turning the conversation just skillfully, just like, just, just like a, a surgeon. He just turned that conversation just ever so sharply, and it helped the whole thing be at peace. Mo is now the pastor of community life at the church where Pastor Mike and I used to serve, and he's still involved in the marketplace, leading leaders about what it looks like to be respectful and the benefits that come with that as a Christian, even in an unsaved context. Number two, what does God want us to do as employees? Faithfully do our jobs. Faithfully do our jobs. Verse 5. Again, he says, servants or slaves or employees, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. If you're taking notes, you might write these words, genuine, faithful, Genuine, faithful. It means to work with a concentrated purpose, undivided service, or unquestionable loyalty as long as you're employed under that employer. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, Mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of the outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. Now, I'm going to ask you for the next couple of minutes, try not to think about who needs this message and isn't here. Try not to think about who needs this message and is here, right? But instead, just, just think to yourself, what is God inviting me to do to be a better employee where I work? Even those of us who are employers, I know very few who actually aren't also employees. I serve under the authority and leadership and care of a board. Now, thankfully, I get to also be on that board as one of nine voices, but there's a board of elders who who is my authority. So I'm an employer in the sense that I make employment decisions, but I'm also an employee. I'm asking that. You're asking, how can we be good employees? And whatever it is that God speaks to you about, won't you put that into practice this week? Ask the Lord to grow you even at work. Number three, what does God want us to do as employees? Worshipfully do our jobs. Worshipfully do our jobs. Notice verse five, the last part. He's told us to obey with respect and fear and sincerity of heart. And then he adds this clause. He says, just as you would obey Christ. Just as you would obey Christ. 
Here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that your boss is Jesus. You say, Pastor Matt, I know that. You do not have to tell me that. I know my boss is not Jesus. But what he is saying is that as we worship and serve Jesus with our lives, that actually it creates the right attitude towards the men and women who lead us in the workplace. So what I want you to do is, is just pretend for a moment that, that the cross represents Jesus. Right? We're just going to imagine. And let's say the drums represent your boss, whoever he or she may be. Okay? So now, don't look at the drums, but instead look at the cross and think about how much you love the Lord. Think about what Jesus has done for you. Think about his forgiveness of sins. Think about how he's made you white as snow. Think about the worship that's welling up in your heart, even as you think about Christ. Now, notice the direction of your eyes. Your eyes are pointed towards Christ, but it also gives this presence, this, this feeling, this understanding of respect and a good spirit, a good attitude, if I'm your boss. And so when you think about verse 6, Paul isn't, verse 5, Paul isn't saying to worship our earthly masters, but Paul is saying, obey Christ, love Christ, honor Christ, and in so doing, our entire persona, perspective, attitude will get so much more healthy. This is the way it was intended to be from the beginning. It's in your notes, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. From the very beginning, work was supposed to be worship. He's, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply or increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, Genesis 1 happened before the fall in Genesis 3, before Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. So work isn't part of the curse for sin. Work came before the curse for sin. It just got immensely harder because of the curse for sin. So work may feel like a curse, but God says, no, work has always been part of my design for worship. Now, I've been looking forward all week to making this connection from Ephesians to Genesis. So hang on just a minute. We're going to make this connection from Genesis 1 to Ephesians 1. But first, let's listen to the words of Moses in Psalm 90 and verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Moses says, establish the work of our hands. What a prayer to pray. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now here's the connection to Ephesians 1. It's in your notes, verse 22 and 23. Listen to these words. Think about Genesis 1. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feel, fills everything in every way. You see, God told Adam and Eve to fill the earth, 
to take dominion over the whole earth. But within the time you get to chapter 3, Adam and Eve had already fallen flat on their faces. There was only one person who could ultimately fulfill this creation mandate, and it's the Son of our great God, the Lord God himself, Jesus Christ the Lord. And Jesus says, the way that I'm going to fill all things and take dominion of all things in context is I'm going to put my spirit in every single believer and every believer who goes north, south, east, and west can actually take dominion in the marketplace, can take dominion in their families, can take dominion socially, can take dominion economically, can impact government, can impact society. And in Ephesians 1, the way that Jesus Jesus is doing that right now as we speak is through you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's using you. That means God has an inside man or an inside woman at your company because you're there. Jesus wants to fill all things, all things. Oh my goodness, this is beautiful. This isn't in your notes, but Revelation chapter 22 Revelation 22, if you want to write it down, sometimes I've been asked, what are we going to do in heaven? Are we just going to sit around on harp, on pillows and play harps? Or sit around on toilet paper as the commercial shows? No, we're not going to do that. Revelation 22.3 says, and his servants will serve him. This is just a hunch. Don't go start a church on this. This is just a hunch. I believe in eternity we're going to live in that fourth quadrant for, for, forever and ever. I believe in eternity we're going to get to actually do things that we enjoy serving the Lord, perhaps with the same spiritual gifts we have now, uh, perhaps not, I don't know, but we're going to get to serve the Lord for eternity. Have you ever worked all day, you were sweaty, you were dirty, you were tired, but when you got done with that assignment, you felt so satisfied. Like I have worked all day, put in a hard day's work, and man, this feels good. I believe every time we experience that, that is just a taste of what we're going to get to experience in eternity, those who follow and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What if we saw Monday worship as an extension of Sunday worship, not just when we pray in our car, but when we actually do our jobs? What if we went to work and prayed on the way in, Lord, help me to work today like you worked in the carpentry shop? What if we thought about not that our boss is the Department of Transportation or CAMC or UC or State or Canal County Schools or, or Toyota Motor Manufacturing or the Air National Guard or the Post Office or BB&T. But what if we thought of our boss as Jesus and we just happened to get a paycheck from all those other places? This week, I heard about one of our stay-at-home moms who has a, a plaque over her kitchen sink that says, Divine Tasks Performed Here daily. I love that because that is what it looks like to work as worship day in and day out. Now, I realize as I'm speaking, there's a little disconnect perhaps in your heart. I know there is even in my heart. We've not got far to go in this message, but I want to just this moment be transparent and let you know that someone who's worked in the church now for 18 years, and I've had little stints here and there working other places, but primarily in the church for 18 years, it's going to be hard for me to relate to what you do every day. So I just want to confess that and not pretend like I totally understand, and if you would just do these five things, you'd be a good Christian like me. Now, I got it easy. 
I get to work here every day. Right? I get to work here. Because of you, I get to serve this church and work in a place like this. I have it so easy. I get to work with some great people, right? But you, some of you are like, Pastor Matt, this all sounds good, but you have no idea how hard it is where I work. I'm so glad you're here. And I can't sympathize with you, but I want to tell you the story of somebody who can. This week, I read the story of a Chinese Christian who was put into a Chinese prison camp for 18 years because of, he was witnessing for his faith. 18 years. He wasn't a pastor. In China, it's not illegal to be a Christian necessarily, but you can't propagate your faith. You can't proselytize. You can't evangelize. You can't share your faith. And so for 18 years, the first few months, it was miserable for him because on his first day, he was assigned to the sewage pits, the septic pits. Not the septic tanks, septic pits. They actually have pits, and then they close certain ones off. Once they get full, they let them set in the sun for months on end until they ferment. They have to be mixed a certain way, certain ingredients, and then they're used as fertilizer. That was his job. And he hated it, being away from his family. No doubt the smell, the stench, the disease... But he said, after several months, the Holy Spirit in his prison cell spoke to his heart and turned that sewage pit into a garden. He said, the cesspool became my private garden. In the article, he said that it was the only place the soldiers wouldn't go and they wouldn't bother him because he smelled too bad. He could sing what he wanted to. He could share his faith as much as he wanted to. He could pray aloud as much as he wanted to because he was in the cesspool. And he said in his own language that his favorite hymn during those 18 years became, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. He says, and that voice so clear whispers in my ear, the Son of God discloses. If you're new to church, this is one of those songs Christians have been singing for at least 100 years or so. And he walks with me and talks with me and tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He said, I came to learn the meaning of that hymn at the septic pits. What meaning of life does God want you to learn at your job? I won't call it a septic pit, but where you work. What is it that God wants you to learn? If you love your job, man, hopefully now you're saying amen. But if you hate your job, my prayer is that that man's story will encourage your heart and you'll find new purpose and new meaning every day. Number four, what does God call us to do as employees? Diligently do our jobs. Diligently do our jobs. Notice verse 6 of Ephesians 6. He says, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So essentially he's saying, don't just work hard when your boss is watching, but do it for someone else. If you underline in your Bible or you mark in your, your Bible, verse 5, I have underlined the word Christ. In verse 6, the word Christ. In verse 7, the word Lord. In verse 8, the word Lord. In verse 9, master in heaven. See, God says our motivation is someone else. We're to work hard whether our boss is watching or not. Have you ever met somebody who only works hard? How many of you would raise your hand and say, Pastor Matt, I've actually met somebody who only worked when the boss was around. Anybody like that at all? Anybody at all? Two or three of you? Yeah, some more hands. 
in the first service, man, they must know a lot more hoodlums because their hands were all, all over. Um, yeah, I had a guy I worked with once in a warehouse who, who, who would literally take naps and we'd get mad if we didn't wake him up when the boss was coming to the warehouse, right? Like maybe you know that guy or, or that lady, uh, but God says, no, we don't work for earthly ma- masters. We work for a heavenly master. I heard one man in college, one of my mentors said, no matter where you work, work as if you're the CEO of your company and Jesus is the chairman of your board. No matter where you work, work as if you're the CEO of your company and Jesus is the chairman of your board. What a calling. What an opportunity. Number five, what does God want us to do as employees? Pleasantly do our jobs. Pleasantly do our jobs. We see this in verse 7, in that second word of the verse. He says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. The word wholeheartedly here means goodwill. Serve with a positive attitude. Serve with a disposition towards obedience. He's not telling us that we all have to be fake or you know, Disney characters. Maybe that's not your personality, but he's saying have a disposition towards obedience. Just this past week, Pastor Mike and I went to a, a conference down in Orlando, an exponential church multiplication conference. Really cool thing, thinking through what we're going to be doing uh, with pastors and our elders over the next few years and as a church, multiplying our influence in the city. And the last day, we, we didn't have a conference on Friday, so my wife flew down, some of our community group flew down, Jen was already there, and we went to Epcot. So we threw some money at the mouse for, for a day, and then we flew home. And I was all excited to get home because I was going to get, you know, a day just to chill out, a day to, day to rest, most of a day before today. So yesterday, I thought I would get to spend most of the day at home. Well, that wasn't the case. American Airlines had other plans for me. And instead, we ended up spending about eight hours in the Charlotte airport because of flights and canceled, delayed. And so we were just nice and comfortable there in one of those like hard ceramic, you know, sandpaper chairs and had a great time for eight hours. But during the course of the time, my my attitude wasn't always best. I mean, I wanted to get home and why can't they transfer me to another airline company, et cetera, et cetera. And and so I went into the bathroom and I met this guy, right? This is Osmond. I don't typically take pictures of other men in the bathroom, <laughs> but this is Osman. And, and so I'm, I'm going to wash my hands, and Osman looks at me, and he says, thank you for choosing my bathroom. Thank you for choosing my bathroom. I was like, you are welcome for choosing your bathroom. It just happened to be close to gate E3. But, um, so, so then, I, after I finished washing my hands, he took one of those paper towels, and he had it draped over his arm, and he said, for you, sir. And I said, well, thank you. And he said a couple other nice things, and he said, have a great day. And I was like, everything inside of me just was thinking, this, I needed an illustration for this point, and Osmond is that illustration, but I can't be that guy taking pictures in the bathroom. So I, I walked out, and I thought, who cares? I'm never going to see Osmond again. So I walked in, took this picture last night, and wanted to show you what this looks like. This is what he's saying in verse 7, serve wholeheartedly. Whatever it is you do, put your whole heart into it. People depend on you. And God says it actually shows the fruit of the Spirit when you serve. And I serve in this way. Why should we do these things as employees? Why do we do these things? 
Well, because Jesus is our judge and will reward us if we do. Why should we do these things? Because Jesus is our judge and will reward us if we do. He tells us this in verse 8. He says, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever they do, whether they are slave or free. This is absolutely amazing. This is a promise. This should encourage you. God is saying if you serve faithfully, if you serve diligently, if you serve worshipfully, God says there's going to be a reward for you. It may be on this planet, but it's definitely a reward for you at the judgment. This is a promise. He, he tells us in, in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Matthew 25, 21, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, but I will put you in charge of many things. Over 100 years ago, there was a missionary couple that had spent 40 years on the mission field. 40 years. And on their voyage home, they expected to at least be greeted by some celebration, at least a few people coming to thank them for their service for 40 years. But they knew on their, their boat that Teddy Roosevelt was on board. He'd been on a hunting excursion. And when they pulled up to the port in New York City, of course, all the fanfare was there for the president, which should happen. But no one was there to greet them. And the man on the, on the way to their cottage, the man told his wife, he said, why is it that a man who goes and kills animals gets celebrated more than someone who spent 40 years serving Jesus? And he continued to mumble and mutter. Before they were going to bed, his wife looked over and she had an answer for him. She goes, honey, I have an answer to your question. She goes, you asked, why is it that when we come home, we have no reward? And she said, honey, it's because we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Christian, can I encourage your heart this morning? You're not home yet. You think life has gypped you. You have worked hard. You have been, no one's been perfect, but you have done your best. And you're like, where's my reward? You're not home yet. So keep on being faithful. That's the promise. No matter where we serve, no matter where we live. For Christians, Monday is just as important as Sunday. Paul just gives two brief encouragements to employers, but they're powerful. What does God want us to do as employers? Number one, treat our employees as we would want to be treated. Let's treat our employees as we would want to be treated. He says this in verse 9. He says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Employers, treat your employees in the same way. I find these verses beautiful for two reasons. They're first of all beautiful because they show the diversity in the church. You've got employees and employers sitting right beside each other right now in these, in these seats, worshiping together. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. I love it. I also love the book of Ephesians because you have lower class and, and the, the application for us, the middle class, and then the upper class, all part of the church unified in Christ together. Again, all ground being level. But I also find Paul's words beautiful because they're, they have overtones of the golden rule. Remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is what Paul's hinting at. He's quoting Jesus. He's saying, those of you, those of us who make employment decisions for other people, let's not forget what it was like when people made employment decisions for us. And we're not going to do it perfectly, but let's do our dead level best to treat others 
the way we would want to be treated or the way we maybe were treated or weren't treated in the past. So number one, let's treat others as we would want to be treated. Number two, what does God want us to do as employers? Number two, be kind and honest to our employees. Be kind and honest to our employees. Verse 9, he says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Do not threaten them. Literally in the original, it's stop threatening or stop abusing them. Paul chooses his words carefully. He isn't saying, don't say hard things. But the wording here that he's using is emphasizing both gentility and honesty. He's saying you've got to have honest conversations. Sometimes you've got to tell somebody, hey, you're not doing your job. You're not living up to your job description. I'm going to need you to, to do your better. We're going to reevaluate in a couple months. Those are decisions that sometimes in conversations that we have to have. And those are hard conversations. But God says there's a way for us to do that who manage others, and it's to do it with gentility, with peace to treat someone with dignity and respect. They're not beneath us somehow in the creation order, but they're our brother and sister. If they're a believer, our brother and sister in Christ. At least they're our fellow human made in the image of God. What about you who manage? What about you who lead? Are you kind to the people that you work with? Do you treat them with dignity? Is there anyone you need to apologize to for not treating with dignity and respect? Oh, if so, do that today. Do that today. Ask the Lord to help you to be a manager, to be a leader, a, a point person like Jesus was. Jesus got down and washed the feet of his disciples in John 13. And if the King of Kings can do that, there's very few of us, there's none of us, they're outside the realm of serving others. Why would we need to do that? Why? He's going to tell us here at the end of verse 9, because Jesus is our judge and will discipline us if we don't. He is our judge and will discipline us if we don't. This is the other side of the coin. This text is only four or five verses, but it's beautiful. It's like a sandwich. It's just it's tied up like this. He's, he tells employees, I've got a promise for you. And then he tells employers, I've got a warning for you. Here's the warning. If we as employers don't treat our employees in this way, God says there's discipline ahead. You say, Matt, do you really believe that? Let's look at the text. Verse 9. He says, do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Colossians 3.25 is the sister chapter to this. He's saying the same thing in different words. He says, anyone who does wrong, he's, in context, he's talking about employers. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Romans 12.9, it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And then 2 Corinthians 5.10, the last verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in his body, whether they be good or bad. You say, Pastor Matt, what does that mean? I don't know for sure. 
I don't know. I'm not going to try to pretend like I know what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. But I am going to say this. If you're an employer, ask the Lord to help you love your employees like Jesus loves his followers. What a challenge. What a prayer. May God help us all. Why is this so important for employees and employers? The answer is simple. Because for Christians, Monday is just as important as Sunday. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you that we as a church can step into your glory, to can step into your holiness by hearing your word and letting it wash over our souls. Lord, I ask that you would make us practically these things. Lord, we know we have unity with Christ and we're washed in his blood, but yet, Lord, we want to be faithful and we want reward for your glory and for your honor. Father, I pray you would help us as employees to live in the way you've prescribed. God, I pray you'd give some fresh and new perspective to some men and women as they go to work this week. doesn't mean they're going to work there forever, but Lord, maybe you want to change their heart, change our hearts before you change the location where we work. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to, to depend upon you by faith, God, for employers. God, give us the ability to make some wise, even more wise decisions to love the people on our teams. And God, I pray that there would be this sense in all of our organizations that we really are seeking to take dominion for your glory, that the knowledge of Christ would spread, not just through church, but God, through business and government, through society in every facet. Help us, God, to love and lead like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.